Okay, welcome back to the Jay Martin Show. And I'm joined right now, once again, by Peter Grandich. Peter, it's great to have you back on the program. Great to be back, Jay. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Last we spoke, it was uh, right before the holidays, I think. And, um, you know, what I want to talk about today is we, we just hosted our event in Vancouver two months ago. You know, it's the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. If there was one theme that I heard on stage for two days straight, it was that investors are playing a bit of defense right now, right? And the reason they're playing defense is because three years into this decade, every year is throwing us a haymaker, right? 2020 was the, um, uh, the pandemic and the economic shutdown. 2021, um, civil unrest that spread all over the world began in the United States, but spread globally, uh, protests, riots, et cetera. Uh, 2022, hot war breaks out in Europe. Uh, what's behind, you know, 2023? And uh, nobody knows, but safe to say we're not done with any of those three yet. I think there's still more punch in all three of those. So how are you feeling right now, sentiment-wise, uh, reflecting what I just shared, but talk to me about your mindset for the decade ahead. Well, I, I, I still remain as bearish as I can overall. I just really follow the USJ. I don't really look at really any other world markets on a regular basis. But here in the United States, we just have the problems just keep getting worse socially, politically, economically. They're not getting better. Uh, it's harder to move the, the needle now for them. I'm sure they'll come up with a debt. I don't even know why they keep calling it a debt ceiling because they always go through it. But uh, but things overall, particularly because politically now uh, we are seeing just dysfunctional. We just had some viewing of supposedly the real tapes of what happened in January 6th. And all it's done is emboldened both sides more to believe that their side is correct. And there's no more middle ground. And when you don't have middle ground, there's always going to be disruptions. I don't know what it's going to be. You pointed out some. But when, when everything like this is on really bad ground on a deck of cards, just anything can happen. So nothing would surprise me. But uh, I don't think you... Don't go out because you could get hit by a car. You go out and try not to get hit by the car. So I think we still have to invest, but we have to invest with both eyes and ears open. You know, and when you say that, I think that that um, that civil unrest and that division is spreading, you know, and spilling outside of the borders of the United States. I see it really clearly up here in Canada, more so than ever. And um, you're right, there's a lack of civil discourse and healthy debate and discussion between two increasingly distant sides. Um, and people align, they tend to like uh, align their core beliefs with whatever political identity they've agreed to, you know, more so than what may make sense for them. It's like we put ourselves in this box and then we'll take everything else in the box. And if you're not in this box, you're in that box. So it's us versus them. And I've never seen Canada so polarized before, but we're seeing that now. And, you know, when I put this question to the former prime minister of Canada, I was lucky enough to have Prime Minister Stephen Harper on the show. I asked him, I said, you know, where does this go? Because all I see is increasingly deep divisions in this country. And it makes me very concerned. He was a bit calm in his response. And he said, look, when I grew up, we saw political leaders assassinated. Things can get, you know, this is not that bad. And we will recover from this. And yes, it seems volatile and chaotic and uncertain. But this is also cyclical, and we need to break things to rebuild them. What, what do you think about that? Well, I have to always remind myself, Jay, I'm in my 40th year now, that I need to separate my secular views from my spiritual views. Okay. From a spiritual argument, 
it doesn't come as much of a surprise where we're going because of the warnings and the teachings that those who are Christian, you know, get from their manual of life, the Bible. But from a secular standpoint, leaving that aside, I think one of the things that has empowered this is the Internet. That's, you know, 30 years, 40 years ago didn't exist. Most of your stuff was word of mouth or you turned on a program. Now, uh, instantaneously, uh, careers are ending, you know, by people slipping up and saying something or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's also emboldened people. And uh, there's an old saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. Now I think you have to change it to the Twitter is mightier than the sword. And so I think people have lost like we said, the civility, uh, the, what we had, I mean, my father, if he ever saw me in any way talking to an adult, not as a perfect gentleman, he would have smacked me in the head. Now, younger folks speak in a way that you know, I would have been murdered. So uh, I think a lot of that plays into what's happening, Jay, and, and, and it falls into politics as well. It's no different there. Okay, now getting let's zero in on the United States a little bit. You know, what strikes you as a major thread of concern that people seem to be missing or not paying enough attention to, Peter? Well, that's a hot button for me. I've been speaking out about what I believe is it has arrived, uh, a retirement crisis that will rival the debt crisis. Everybody knows about the debt crisis. You've had 300 speakers and it's been spoken about for years and all the problems. But the retirement crisis now particularly with the baby boomers, you know, reaching that that period is is a crisis. We have three quarters of Americans now working paycheck to paycheck. Uh, we have studies showing that less than a third have anything even close to what is needed to have a so-called comfortable retirement. People are living longer. Our ability to provide them what little entitlements the government has given is in trouble. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And we have people living longer. And now polls are showing that seniors are actually saying they're more fearful of running out of money than passing away. And that, especially now that I'm in a 55 and over community where over half the people retired, I see that firsthand. And the decline last year, when you think about it, Fidelity says the average retirement count was down 25%. Throw anywhere a 10 to 20% inflation rate during that time. Those And these people are on fixed in income now. They're not working anymore. That's mm. a huge problem. So I, I, my big thing is I call it a retirement crisis. I think it's here. And combined with that is going to be what I think is a battle of the ages coming. Uh, a lot of people don't know this in the United States. Even some Canadians don't. But now in Canada, in the last couple of years, medical people to older people, either very ill or very old, have suggested uh, ending their own life as a, as an alternative to to dealing with it. And, you know, in 10 states now, we have the ability here to have assistant suicide. And I, I have trouble with that because it, 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 it conflicts with my spiritual end. And in my faith, the uh, culture of death is the last thing we want. We're supposed to have the culture of life. But uh, there's a lot of things coming down the road. But I think the retirement crisis is the next big thing here in the States. You know, it's funny you 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 caught that. You're right. The expansion of the assisted dying program in Canada has been making headlines globally. Actually, just causing some eyebrows to go up, and it's a 
it's somewhat unique, um, unique development to Canada. So you mentioned um, less than a third Americans right now have sufficient funds to retire. Less than one third are going to be able to retire on their own. Um, the entitlements programs are going to be in trouble mainly for demographics. Is this right? Because the, you know, we're, we're going to become pretty top heavy with a with a retired population being funded by a working population that's significantly smaller. And so those tax receipts are going to go down to fund those programs. You're going to have more people drawing on pensions than paying into them. And that's not sustainable. What do you think occurs there? Does the government step in and start just reckless, not recklessly, but aggressively funding these programs? Um, currency expansion be damned? Like, what do you what do you think? Well, one of the things that's going to happen, I believe, is going to be an age battle. So we take somebody that's 30, 40 years old. They're going to see the taxes go up. Look, the government can only do two things. It can cut spending, which it's not good at, or it can raise taxes, which it's very good at. So you're going to have a person 30 or 40 being taxed just heavily and heavier, Medicare and all that. And they're going to say, wait a minute, there's 85-year-old men or women that you're spending hundreds of thousands to do some special operation on. Forget about it. I, I can't afford this. I can't even put food on my own table. And mm -hmm. then the 85-year-old is going to say, listen, you took all that money from me all these years. Now I want to live and go on. So I called the battle of the ages. And of course, who will win in that? Who will ever have the most political influence? Right now, the seniors, because they have a lot of whatever the money that exists. But younger people, I think, in my opinion, are more acute politically than when I was their age. I think one thing that's happened is, and I think that's all because of what's available to them now, the internet and all, uh, we see much more activity politically wise, younger folks than when I was 20 or 25 or 30. Interesting. Now, if you were to expect or like speculate on what kind of trends might develop as a consequence of a younger and younger generation raising their voices politically and getting involved, I, what does that strike? How does that strike you, Peter? Is, do we trend one direction or the other? Does this trend towards a more liberal voice in the country? Or what do you think? Well, here in the United States, there's one clear trend that's obvious, and that is we're moving more to secularism. We're not spiritually driven in a way that 40 or 50 years ago, you might argue. And, uh, and with that, you know, there's also now more people in the United States that don't believe in a God than, than do believe. It's basically equal now. And that was way different 40, 50 years ago. And with that, you think differently and you you act differently. And so younger people who are less clearly are not going to religious organizations in the manner that they once did are really living a relativism kind of life. Hey, what you want to do is what you want to do. This is what I want to do. So that, that I think is more uh, changed than people are used to. It's hard for older people who are used to that seeing that being done. And then I think because older people are living longer and uh, are going to have difficulty with, we have a huge problem in the United States of what's called affordable housing. Now, well, just right now, the affordability index is at the worst level, but I'm talking about people with limited income. We have a great shortage of senior and low income housing and people need a place to live. I mean, we, we, we also have a much more increased homeless uh, problem now in the U.S. And of course, Food banks are being overrun uh, by people even working class now. So these are all things that are going to come into the political mix at a time when I think it's the most dysfunctional Congress ever. The, the parties not only don't speak to each other, Jay, but they actually have fractions within their own party that think differently. 
So I don't see how they can come together and make any real hard decisions that will benefit all these issues that, you know, we, we just touched on. Okay. I want to dive into portfolio construction a little bit. And I think it's important to frame this um, within time horizon. And so let's maybe, you know, speak about the decade, right? Where we're putting cash for the remainder of the 2020s. I think that's a reasonable time horizon that would relate to myself and, and my audience, who's very much carbon copies of myself. We're retail investors just looking for the smartest home for our cash. Um, can you share what your portfolio looks like today, Peter, and where you're playing defense and where you're playing offense? Well, I have stated by the end of 2021 not to own any general equities or bonds, and that still remains. The only thing that changed today is because now we're seeing one and two year notes up at 5% and the S&P 500 is yielding only one and a half percent. I think that's pretty good competition that could help suppress equity prices if the rates stay up at that level. So there's a little interest in short term rates, but I still think we can see rates go higher. I think uh, I, we had such an easy way to go. We had a we had a, uh, a Fed that just put the pedal to the metal. They drove down interest rates down to zero. We had governments printing trillions and trillions of dollars and giving them away pandemic or no pandemic. And it helped the market do exceptionally well, but it borrowed a lot from the future. And the people that are going to pay most for that borrowing are the younger folks because it took away from what could have been done in the future. So I I, I still think we have to be cautious. I think there's, there's a few themes we can look at. Uh, there's no question that if you're going to believe in electrification, and I'm certain you had several people speak about this. In fact, I watched some of your talks. One was phenomenal by a lady. And... Uh, if you're going to believe the electrification argument, and it appears the Western world has put the pedal to the metal, then you're going to have to figure out how you're going to get all the metals that you're going to need for that. There's been a great undercapitalization of searching for uh, new resources, and there's much more difficulty now in many places of the world that didn't have it. Now, one thing that isn't being spoken about is the dramatic change in the United States on how we looked at energy. The past president believed in America first and get all the energy. And we actually became energy net positive. We actually became exporters. And in a short time now, we've become more reliant again on energy and we're drawing down a strategic alliance. But the thing that I don't like what this administration has done, if I'm a major oil company and all you did when gas prices went up is point to us and call us the bad guy and we're evil and all, why do I want to go out and spend a lot of my excess capital to find new resources, especially when you're saying things like five or 10 years from now, you don't even want gas cars. So there's going to be another oil squeeze down the future. I don't know when it's going to be, Jay, but with, with less and less capital going to it and still a great need for it, and you're not going to see these energy companies expend a lot of dollars in that area. It's only a matter of time before there's another you know, significant spike in the oil. So I think that's something to look at down the road. And then the last thing, I think that's important is we're living longer. So things medically for older people, as well as entertainment, and also our housing is shrinking. Because older people are downsizing from the bigger homes, I think if you're gonna look at real estate, you need to move away from the bigger homes and focus on these, the biggest growth in the United States now is these 55 and over communities. So there's always opportunities, but I still think overall, 
we borrowed from the future and the market is going to be much more difficult to see gains like it saw the last 10 or 20 years. Interesting. Okay. And are you, okay, a few threads I want to pull on there. I want to talk a bit about the energy sector. And if you're looking at any energy metals, uh, why don't we start there? So I'm on the same page as you. I expect a squeeze in that industry. Um, I don't play the oil market personally, though. I just don't feel like I have a competitive advantage. I don't spend enough time focused on it. So I don't allocate capital as a consequence. Do you? And if so, anything you'd want to share or give some counsel to my viewers who might be looking to deploy some cash? Well, I just think people, one of the good things that came along are these exchange traded funds. Okay. We didn't have them, you know, 20 years ago. We you know, paid four or 5% for somebody to handle a mutual fund and all. And I think that people are better taking a broad representation than trying to find the one or two individual winners. If you don't follow a market now all the time, I don't follow the oil all the time. I don't think you could be on top of it, but you can't have a general opinion like we had. So I would be diversified and I would, you know, count on someone else doing it versus myself doing it. I, I'm not as high on the energy as I am on the base metals. I think there's a better argument, closer term to see that. Uh, because of continuing, we, we know now that you can't spin the globe anymore, Jay. Point your finger, not looking and say, yeah, we can go to that country. That's just not the case anymore. And miners recognize that. We just saw, I think, something happen in Panama that really woke them up. We saw a mine that was built, hundreds of millions of dollars were spent. They had a 2% royalty and the government basically said, unless you want to give us 20% now, you can leave. And uh, we're seeing a lot of terminal in South America and also People are going to be more narrowly focused on where they look. I think that's going to be an important role. Lithium has had a huge run. I mean, it can still do well, but if you haven't been in it by now, it's just, you know, leave the what's left for it for someone else. But maybe look at some things that haven't run like that yet, like copper or zinc or things of that nature. And I think that's that's a, that's a play irregardless of what you think of the general equity market. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that sentiment. And then, uh, are you looking at copper? Are you looking at nickel? And um, and if so, you know what stage in that do you look at producers, developers? Do you like to go explorers? Anything within those two metals, Peter? There's two rules I have, Jay, and one I violated badly last year myself, and it cost me dearly. All right. Now I know people are shocked to hear that so-called experts lose money, but I'm one that has, so I don't mind talking about it. Two rules when it comes to the junior resource market now, clearly for me, for the rest of my natural life. One is, as honest as is hard, most are. Only one out of two out of 10 are going to make it all the way. They're going to find a deposit. They're going to develop it, bring it into production or sell it for a nice profit. Doesn't mean the other eight don't see their stocks go up for a while. But if you just buy and hold for the long period, eight out of 10 aren't going to work. But the other rule, which hurt me badly is, not only do you have to be financially prepared to lose part of your, your capital, but you have to be mentally. Mm. And I think the big problem is, I like to say to junior resource buyers, if you follow that rules, you shouldn't get mad at anybody if you end up losing your money, because that's what you have to be prepared for. It's like going to the casino. You took a soap amount of money, you didn't have a good day at the slots or whatever, and you leave without your money. You got nobody to blame but yourself. You got to take that attitude now in that market. But- if you get past it, what the junior resource market offers now, especially because by valuations, comparison to underlining metals, they never been cheaper. 
you don't get chances of 10 or 20 times return on your money in the general equity market. You're not going to usually get that and buy an Apple or something of that nature. So the junior market is speculating, which is really gambling. That's just the word we use. So we don't say gambling. But if you can pass those two rules, then I think this is a really, really good time for the junior resource market. Mm. And there, uh, again, management always ends up being a key factor. Uh, because a, they always have to raise money. You don't want you want to raise at the best possible price with the least dilution, and management is usually what attracts serious investors. So management is more important than how they're mining. There's not a lot of different ways of mining. Technology is always changing. In six months, your technology can can be completely outdated. And mining pretty well stays the same. So that really plays in a point of management. And now, of course, where you're looking for it plays a bigger role than it did any other time in my life. Mm, okay. Okay. With that, I want to run through just a few commodities quickly to get your, your sentiment, Peter. Let's start with gold. And you can speak to um, your portfolio or just what you're seeing in the market, but uh, share some thoughts if you wouldn't mind. So gold should always be purchased and hope it never goes up. And people go, why do you want me to buy something that's not going to go up? Well, if you happen to have a lot of financial assets, you need to hedge it and hope gold doesn't go up because if gold goes up a lot, chances are your financial assets went down a lot. So it's really an insurance policy, which a lot of people don't look at it, but it really should be. Once you pass that, I think you have to own physical bullion before you start to speculate otherwise. But once you've identified risk-oriented capital, then I like gold. I like because as we speak, Silver is back down towards 20. I think anything under $20 in silver, hard pressed to think it won't turn up and, and make money over the next one or two years. But I like copper, the best of the base metals now. Okay. And uh, like I said, zinc, the, the run in lithium, everybody's chasing it now. We're at towards the, the, the top of the cycle for that. So I think if you haven't participated, it's just too late in there. But I still think there's plenty of opportunity in the other metals that I spoke of. You know, when you mentioned starting with physical gold right away, I was like, that ticks your rule number two box for me very effectively, right? Make sure you're mentally able to watch a correction in the market or watch a loss, you know? And that's the utility of physical gold for myself. Like you said, I, I don't buy it for the capital gain. Um, if that happens, great. But, um, you know, when people call gold a pet rock, I'm kind of like, yeah, exactly. That's it's supposed to do nothing. Like if it's doing its job, it's just retaining purchasing power as it's done for, um, for thousands of years. But, you know, it, it also services rule number one as well, which gives you the financial durability to take a loss, right? Because it's that zero counterparty risk wealth that you've just got, stored away somewhere. Uh, there's no CEO who can make a bad management call and tank the share price. There's no central bank who can print more and devalue it, right? It's just, it's parked, it's good. And it gives me the financial confidence to engage in the highly, the high risk speculations, which I honestly love. You know, I love the high risk stuff. So it's nice, but I can only go there if I know I can sleep well at night. I can sleep well at night if I have some physical, um, that gives me that durability and anti-fragility. And again, if you really listen to rule one or two and take it from somebody that didn't, if you get past that, then the junior resource market really, especially now, Jay, if you look at its history of historical valuations, especially against the underlying metals they're looking for, it's never been cheaper. And of course, there's such frowning now 
people are so disappointed, you know, because they haven't lived up to as some of the medals have. And contrarians are the ones, if you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to make it being a contrarian, not a, not a follower of, of momentum. You get a little action momentum, but if you, you have to be much more short-term oriented, where contrarianism, and there's an old saying, as long as you're not on margin, you'd rather be a year too early than a day too late. And yeah, uh, right. I love that. Do you look at the uranium market at all, Peter? I still think here's the thing about uranium. I you know I got in early. I was lucky. I was able to get out. I, I bought them back when they came back down again. But one of the negatives about Twitter is people are on it too much, speaking too much about any one thing. Uranium is an example. Uh, nine posts a day sometimes from certain people that are following or known or whatever and the days it goes up they use these rocket ships to be showing going up and the days it goes down they're like putting guns to their heads much too short to it. but what happens is when you speak about something so much you shrink dramatically the time frame that you're willing to give it because you've talked so much about it you're looking for that almost instant results so uranium is going to be a grind up I don't think it's a rocket ship this time, but what I do like about it is if you go to a senator in the United States now, if you went 20 years ago, say, listen, could you put a nuclear plant up? We're going to need all this electricity. We're never going to put up nuclear. They would have told you 20 years ago. Now that same senator will go, please, please build a nuclear plant because we don't have the capacity to meet these electrical needs that everybody's having. So right. nuclear has to be part of the electrification movement. And solar and windmills are just not going to cut it as the only ways in the game. So I'm real confident that nuclear energy will work and uranium will grind up. And there's not that many to play. There's not that many producers. In fact, it's very unique. Probably one of the smallest amount of publicly held producers to play in any metal. And so you have to look at Cameco. You know, it's it's a world leader. It's one of the few, you know, that relatively safe. It's not over, you know, near Russia or anything. And I just think slowly but surely uranium prices will go up. And that's why even those sprouts that we can buy and, and really just bet on the price of uranium, it's hard at this point in time to think they won't make some money going forward. Mm, I agree with you. And I like the context that you put around that. You're right. And Twitter's a, a horrible place to test investor sentiment because, you know, I, I appreciate the access to information and sometimes there's gems in my Twitter feed. More often than not, there's just brain damage and I should stay off of it. But, you know, it, it does condition investors. Well, I shouldn't say investors. It condi conditions individuals who maybe identify as investors, but they're act, they're, they act like swing traders, right? And, and nothing more. And, and those are very different, very, very different. And, you know, I recall I was interviewing Grant Williams when I first started my podcast, one of my first guests. And I asked him, you know, what's one of the core uh, most important lessons you learned as an investor? And without hesitation, he said, understanding what kind of investor I am. And until you figure that out, you know, like, good luck, right? And the way you figure that out is by determining how much time you have to invest in being an investor, right? If you have two hours a day, you probably shouldn't be a trader of any kind, right? Um, but if you're a long-term value investor, then you know, knowing your time horizon might be five to 10 years, I find it's a lot easier to stare at a share price falling that you had conviction in six months ago, because you know what happens today is not what's going to happen in two, three years when I expect this bet to mature. Jay, I want to say one thing about trading. I probably have seen and known of a couple hundred people that claimed at the time 
they had the next great trading system. Mm. But I think most of them made more money selling the system than actually using the system. So I find investors now looking to trade because the cost has come very low. It was hard to trade 20 years ago when you had to pay $200 on a commission. Now you don't even have to pay any commission. And uh, it's caused more people to trade. But I would be very cautious. It's very hard to beat the market trading. And you can't call yourself an investor if you're trading because that's not investing. Uh, also, I believe if you're going to trade, you have to use some technical analysis past the juniors, 20 cent stocks, you don't need charts. But if you're going to trade the market, because so many people now are using those same sophisticated programs and looking at technicals, they become self-fulfilling prophecies. So some technical analysis, which I'm not a good at, I, you know, one time I used it, but if you're going to trade, I would lean towards technical analysis because fundamentals take much longer to develop than a chart hitting a certain point and everybody reacting from it. You hit on two things I think are so important. One being that just because there's platforms like Robinhood and Wealthsimple that allow uh, fee-free trading, you know, you could say, oh, it makes it easy for anybody to invest in the stock market now. Easy to invest. That doesn't make it easier to make money. Those are two very different things, right? It's easy to deploy capital. Still just as hard to get it back. You know, that hasn't changed. That game hasn't changed. But the narrative around that has been that, oh, anybody can invest now. It's easy to invest in the stock market. And that's just sending cash away. But getting it back is the hard part. And that part hasn't changed. And secondly, you know, how would you recommend this? You mentioned you've seen hundreds of traders who claim to have some proprietary formula or system, but more than likely, they're actually making their money from subscriptions and fees and courses and all this stuff. You know, absolutely agree with you. The financial guru world is full of sharks, lots of sharks in the water. Anything you would share with my viewers, Peter, to counsel them on how do you spot red flags? You know, you you want to improve. You're willing to invest in yourself. This is the right thing, right? Take the course, uh, subscribe to the to the writer. But, you know, anything they should look out for to identify those red flags as they're doing their diligence, looking for that guru. What I notice is many of those people don't have a long track record. They might use the last year or maybe a couple years at best, and they, they can give documentation and show how they trade. This, If you're going to trade, you want somebody that's been around and, and, and been able to weather all the different types of swings and also isn't always one-sided. A lot of times, the traders are just long traders. It's hard for people to go short. First of all, it's kind of like un-American or un-Canadian. You don't want to root for something bad. You always root for something good. Plus, when you're shorting, theoretically, the most you can make is 99.9%. I can't say the same thing that a long can't go from one to 100. But if you're going to trade, you have to learn to be able to trade both sides. And what you'll see a lot of times is the systems they're selling is just one-sided, you know, going long. And if, if you're going to trade, because there's going to be times whenever you're trading is going to go down. So if you're always just going long, you either have to be out of the market at a time. The system has to work to get you out or else you're going to lose money. And, and let me just leave you with this. What separates winners versus losers is not how much you make, but how much you don't lose versus others is going to separate you from the winners from the losers. And so you would hope that a trading system is not something where you can get a very large loss right away. And that's why you want to not be playing margin. Very difficult to play futures because you can lose a lot of money very quickly. 
And uh, markets move faster now than ever before. Computers are trading in nanoseconds and you're trying to compete with that. So I think it's a much more difficult task now than any other time in my 40 years, Jay. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that is, that is some very important rule. Stay at the table, right? And it doesn't matter which of the gurus you look at, investors like Rick Rule, um, Grant Williams, you know, Warren Irwin, these individuals who've been managing money for multiple decades. One thing they've all done is survived, right? Good markets and bad markets, long bear markets. Um, and they may have lost money, but they didn't get wiped out, right? And um, rule number one is stay alive, stay at the table. Look just here. remember that, I'm sorry, Jay, just remember that those of us that look into a crystal ball, we just really become experts on how to eat broken glass. <laughs> we, we have to learn how to say, Fonzie couldn't say it, Jay, but you have to say I was wrong. One of the things you find people is they get emotionally and they don't stick to the very system that they're supposed to use. If you're going to trade, you have to 100% not let emotions, whatever your trigger is, you got to do it and not go, wait a minute, maybe this time it's different. No. It's not different. Either keep the system going 100% or don't use it. Appreciate that. Look, Peter, it's always great chatting with you and catching up and having you on the show. So thanks for coming back on. I appreciate it. Um, I'll push everybody over to your Twitter page, to petergrandich.com. Um, any final words you want to leave the audience with? God willing that I'm healthy. After how I saw how well your show was, I watched a lot of tapes. I really pray to God for the strength to come back after 10 years to just visit the show. You don't have to put me on as a speaker just to be there. It looked fantastic, Jay. It really did. God bless you. And I'm sure your father is very proud of you, too. Appreciate that. I'd love to get you back. And if you were in Vancouver, I'm putting you on stage. Count on that. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks again, Peter. Thank you. God bless, Jay. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.